is Daniel Figella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. One of the most popular questions we've gotten from our members in Emerge Plus and our Catalyst members over the course of the last two months has been some version of how do we turn AI into a need to have, not just a nice to have? How do we get enterprises to make the leap to invest in the transformation that's really required to adopt AI? And it's a very, very important question. I plan to ask a number of enterprise leaders this question, but I also want to ask some vendors. And what better vendor than a vendor that has sold to many of the biggest companies in the world, a vendor that is worth well over a billion dollars, and that is Dataiku. We speak this week with Kurt Wemmel, who is the chief customer officer at Dataiku. He's been with them since they were 20 people. That was hard to believe less than six years ago. Now they're closing the gap on 500 people. Uh, they've raised a quarter billion dollars. Again, they're worth well over a billion dollars at this point. And we speak with Kurt about what has he seen across different enterprises? What are the linchpin elements that take an enterprise from, well, we don't quite want to make the leap into AI. We don't quite want to overhaul how we do our teams and our culture and our data into, okay, we have to do this. What are the factors? And then how do those factors spread across the leadership within an enterprise to get them to turn on and say, okay, we're going to actually take action. Kurt does a great job of summarizing these points. We explore some really interesting facets of AI adoption. And whether you're a buyer or a seller, whether you're within an enterprise or whether you're a consultant or a vendor, this is going to be useful information for understanding the real deal boots on the ground reason why people make the leap why enterprise leaders make the leap specifically. If you are an AI consultant or you run an AI services company, and I know many of our subscribers do, you may be interested in our Catalyst program. I mentioned that this is a question popular among our Catalyst members. Catalyst is our one-to-one -one and group coaching program where I help small AI consultants and service providers grow their businesses by presenting the right use cases, by reaching the right enterprise markets and buyers, by putting together the right AI applications that'll serve those customers, and by framing AI ROI in a way that helps them win business and really deliver value for the folks that they work with. So if you run a services business and you're interested in taking the best of our interviews and the best of our Emerge research and applying that to growing your company, check out emerj.com slash C-A-T-1. That's C-A-T like catalyst. C-A-T-1. That's emerge.com slash C-A-T-1. And you can learn more about the Catalyst program and apply if you feel like it might be a fit for you. But you'll be able to see some testimonials from some of our current members and learn more about the program. Without further ado, let's roll right in. This is Kurt with Dataiku here on the AI in Business podcast. So, Kurt, I want to talk about an interesting topic that we've been discussing with a lot of our Catalyst members. We have a, a program for AI consultants and services providers where we essentially help them with kind of selling AI services, understanding AI ROI. There's a lot of talk around what are the different factors that take AI at an enterprise level from being a nice to have to a need to have. And of course, the challenge here is that sometimes AI is not just plugging something in. Oh, cool. Thanks for the new feature. AI involves some AI maturity, some data infrastructure being changed, the way teams operate being changed, culture and willingness to experiment being changed. And you folks have raised a tremendous amount of money, grown very, very quickly, and you've been along for that whole ride. What have you seen as those linchpin factors? What are those for you? Yeah, it's a great framing of the challenge because I think that's the perfect way of describing it. AI, you know, cannot just be a feature. It cannot just be, you know, an add-on on top of what you have already today. The customers, the companies that are succeeding in this, right, they're really thinking big and they're really doing it at a very broad scale. And it's across multiple, multiple dimensions. You know, a traditional way of thinking about it is about, you know, your people, your process and your technology. That's a, that's a pretty good one. 
We actually have an entire AI maturity methodology that we do, that we run with a lot of our customers to assess where they're at today. Um, what are the blocking points for them moving forward? And how do we help them get that out of the way? Now, we're just a technology provider. We're not consultants. Yep. We provide some advice to them, but they're ultimately the ones who are doing it. Sometimes, of course, with a consulting partner running some of that transformation. But I mean, the truth is there's a lot to it and it can be pretty hard, right? It can be, you know, it, you need to think about the technology, of course. That's what we think a lot about being, uh, being software developers. But really, the real challenges are the companies that are really successful are the ones that break through the organizational challenges, the cultural challenges that might be presented. We've heard stories around, you know, where a new predictive model was developed, right? Meant to be, you know, an AI capability to, to replace or to augment a previous capability. In one case, right, it was a kind of a marketing use case. What are we going to push to, to which consumers? Thanks to being able to actually run a sophisticated analysis across all of the historical data, they were able to put in place a model. You know, one of our customers was able to put in place a model that not only had much better performance, but in fact, their preliminary analysis showed that the emails that they were pushing out previously were having negative effect. Basically, they would have been better off if they had not been sending any promotional emails. But now, thanks to the new model, thanks to that historical analysis, they've got a you know they've got a system in place which is actually deriving value. What happened when they presented those results? Well, you know the folks who had been managing the previous process, they didn't show up. They didn't show up to the meeting, right? They didn't want to have anything to do with it because well, they were worried it would make them look bad. But I think you know there's a cultural element where as organizations look to adopt this, they need to be ready to get rid of the past, to let go of certain elements, to respect the expertise of the individuals who may not be data scientists, machine learning engineers, whatever, but who know the business thanks to their long tenure in the company. But you need to find a way to allow that expertise to inform the data science process, but also be willing to accept the results, even if they're contrary to what you had been doing in the past. Look, if you're if you're not going to change anything based on these results, then why do it in the first place? Yeah, well, I mean, R&D is, is not, I think, something most departments, I, I guess, are prepared for, right? The, the, the iteration and experimentation that AI requires is just different than build this new feature where when I push this button, it does this thing. I mean, it's just categorically different. Yep. And, and like you had said, the cultural change is, is tough there. We think about that at Emerge, and obviously part of what we're trying to do with these interviews, you know, bringing on folks like yourself from, you know, very well-funded and successful vendor companies. We like companies with a lot of traction, a lot of big-name customers and some of the biggest enterprises in the world from the Raytheons to you know US Bank to whatever is executive AI fluency. So one of our hypotheses is that the folks who are either the champions of AI within the, the company or who, you know, in some ideal universe, the folks cutting the check have really decent context on how AI works functionally, what some of the use cases are, and also what it realistically looks like to deploy it. Because from what we gather, so much of the like oh, we don't want to show up to that meeting, or why do we need to change our culture? Or why don't we just, you know, why doesn't it work 100% of the time? Why does it only work 98% of the time? It's just because people don't quite get it. You have to work with this because you guys are selling software. AI folks have to end up, you do the education, whether you want to or not, because they have to work with you. And, and that unfortunately means a little bit of white glove. Do you agree with that general sentiment around kind of champions being a bit smarter? Are there other levers to tweak here in terms of making that change faster? Yet yeah, I do agree. And I would even take it a step further and say that it's, we need to not just make the champions smarter, the C-suite smarter at these companies. Maybe it's not smarter. Maybe it's just more, you know, that understand better AI what's fluent, going on. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I like that term a lot. Uh, more AI fluent, yeah. right? I would say, you know, that that extends in every direction within the company. 
I think one of the main challenges is taking that AI expertise, which is generally concentrated in a small group of individuals, and getting them to be able to share that effectively with the rest of the company, both up, down, yeah, left, right, you know, in it. every single direction. Yeah. Um, because once again, right, it's the a lot of the line of business individuals who have that expertise, which is going to result in a better AI product yep. if it's if they're able to communicate across that uh, that firewall. And also, of course, the the same for the uh, the executive buy-in. I mean, that's. That's also like really core to Dataiku's vision as well, right? Being a broadly collaborative platform, it's meant to be a platform that brings in those people while still allowing the, you know, the, the, the experts to, you know, just to keep jamming Python or Scala or yeah, whatever else yeah, they, yeah. Are, they may need, right? Yeah, so, you know, I completely agree. I mean, in an ideal universe, the, the individual customer service agents or individual, you know, folks manning the manufacturing equipment would also have a pretty strong, robust understanding of this. I think that often the people who hypothetically have an understanding of this are the data science people, because they at least know what it's going to take. However, they often, if they're straight out of school, don't know what it looks like in the real world. You know, they know what it looks like to get an A, but they don't know what it looks like to have a system that we can't use as many features as we want because we don't have infinite compute. We can't, you know, iterate for as long as we want because we have to get it live. Uh, we can't get it right one shot. We have to update it, you know, every six hours because millions of customers are using it. These are totally different than academic instances. It, it seems like there's got to be a, a champion who communicates and breathes AI fluency into the organization. And it feels like, you know, we talk to a lot of vendors, head of whatever functional department we're working in. Potentially, it's innovation strategy people, but, you know, VPs, directors, it's often not going to be the CEO of a public company who's all of a sudden thinking a lot about AI. They're thinking about other stuff, uh, technology agnostic, but we're going to have a champion that can breathe the folks downstream and upstream to a higher level of AI fluency, hopefully through a communication with you, maybe some smart consultants, maybe uh, <clears throat> listening to this podcast. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it feels like that's often going to be, we refer to these people as catalysts. But how do you see that fluency expanding? When a company really has yeah. to crack it open, you see it work well, who expands it? How does it expand? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, thinking about a, a current case that we're working on, we, you know, we, we have a, a very new and very large customer, which has joined our customer base recently. And they're looking at a very broad transformation. And this is a, you know, this is a big, well-established company, a lot of very smart people, a lot of very technical people within that company, but they need to show, they need to achieve a high level of transformation very quickly. And so it's exactly that problem that, uh, that you're articulating. How do you go about getting that communication across, increasing that fluency up, down, left, and right as quickly as possible. One of the first things, and basically what we've done there is we're working on two tracks with them. We're working on kind of the long term. You know, we're building out, uh, you know, kind of an AI enablement pathway using our tech, you know, some of our technology, some of our learning materials, things that we're co-creating with them, things that they're creating themselves, right? So there's an entire enablement and learning path, which, uh, which is being put into place, which is not just about which button do you click to do what, right? But it's really about how do these processes work? What are appropriate problems for different technologies? But at the same time, we're also working on delivering some really quick wins that can serve as kind of these lighthouse projects yeah. that then when we go and we say to, you know, a group of 50 people that, you know, know their current job, who wants their job to change, right? Who wants to learn something new? It sounds yeah, exactly. costly, right? We can point to this and say, hey, look, well, look at the success that they've had over there. The advanced data scientists and the central function, they were working, they were able to work with this line of business, created a satellite center of excellence over in that line of business, which is now creating all of these new use cases over there. Wouldn't you like to be able to do the same thing, especially since, you know, depending who you're talking to, this will make sense or not, you know, the impact on their PL has been 
X or Y. Yeah, right? yeah. And so that's you know that's a big part of it is often two tracking, right? Saying what are the quick wins that we can uh, that we can use to show that hey, this works even in our context, even in a 150 year old company. Uh, yeah. You know, to take the you know some of the examples I'm thinking of, yes, we can do it, but it's it's going to take some effort. Yeah. So, and, and the, the two-track idea is absolutely ubiquitous. Now, the exceptions here are companies that require no transformation. So, I'm thinking of companies like AI Doc or companies like Edited AI Doc, for example. You know, give me the APIs to your radiology data. I'm going to pipe it back into the APIs of your radiology visioning screen where your radiologists sit, and your data is just going to have some red circles on it and some annotations. And that's it. You're transforming exactly zippity zap zap zero. So we're just layering value. So this is an instance where we don't really have to go in and paint a map and paint a vision. Of course, you guys are more of a core tech. Um, and, right. and many AI vendors are kind of core tech. And if you are, then you have to sell maturity. So that is the, the roadmap, which is going to be mm-hmm. a new foundation to get to X, to get to Y, to enable this. But you've got to get enough enough near-term stuff to build belief, right? That's right. And to communicate to the C-suite. It's an art form. It's a tap dance. It's a balance. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's a challenge for essentially all the major um, vendors that are out there. What gets folks, and and you mentioned kind of drawing this map out for them. I think absolutely the role of the catalyst, if it is a vendor, is to be able to communicate, hey, look, there's going to be a roadmap here. There's going to be challenges, but there's going to be wins. Here's how we're going to work together. Promises of just near-term, you know, ROI, not going to be a very lasting customer for you or probably anybody else. That said, you know, if if we're just talking about like all of this is push button quick wins. That said, you guys have done a great job getting firms, very big firms to invest in some of those lighthouse projects, but also to invest in broader transformation. When it comes to getting a C-suite, you know, a head of compliance or whoever to, you know, invest millions or whatever it is into these broader transformations, what makes things, you know, from like a, well, we could do all that work or we could just plug in an IT tool that's going to kind of handle the problem. Is it knowing our competitors are doing it? This is a classic social proof thing. Sure. Is it, right. you know, some felt sense of ultimate frustration with IT as such? Is mm-hmm. it a genuine burning enthusiasm for industry leadership and technology leadership for that individual leader? Like, do you see any common patterns? I just listed three, but are there things that go from need to to nice to, because we're talking about a lot of work here. What's getting us over the line? Absolutely. So, uh, of course, competitive pressure for every industry is a, uh, is a very strong motivator. So, so sure, there's a lot of that, but Really, what we see a lot of our customers or our prospects actually, you know, at that phase, you know, when we're yeah. still talking to them about what they want to do, the questions that, that they're asking themselves are, you know, should I just outsource this? Should I just, you know, ramp up my consulting budget and every time I, you know, need to develop a new capability, I go and I pay for it? Or, you know, should I develop some sort of technology internally, right? You know, basically become a software developer myself, even if that's not my core business, and try to internalize it that way. And what we do is, you know, we, we help them navigate maybe a, a road between um, between them, those mm. two alternatives, right? Mm. Build it myself. Well, I mean, if you're not a software company, like that's hard, right? If you're not a core, like if that's not a yeah. core competency, it's hard work. I mean, that's that's why you know, software companies like us exist, right? Is because there there is a need there. At the same time, you know, the the idea that we can just we can solve the transformational problem by outsourcing individual use cases or maybe buying point solutions for individual use Heck cases. No. I mean, that doesn't seem sustainable, right? And so that's often a lot of the messaging that we're taking that that and that we're finding that that resonates, which is well, kind of true to our product vision, which is look, 
if you want to differentiate yourself, you need to internalize the capability to develop these new use cases, roll out these new models, do this in an efficient way. You need to be able to do that yourself, but you don't need to build the software to do that, right? That's that's what we've done. We've built you the software to do that. But you know, you're looking for somebody who has that kind of transformational mindset, but who can also be pragmatic and look at you know the reality of what they could do internally versus what could be done externally. So I'm just going to try to nutshell where you're going here. What you're essentially saying is that what gets us to need to have, I guess, which is is need to actually roll forward into full blown maturity, which which becomes work. Right for for me, like something like AI Doc. By the way, perfectly respectable company. I've interviewed the guy sure. a couple times. You know, founder there. The client isn't doing AI in that case. That's fine. If you, if you can make money and add value, like I don't really care sure. what they're doing. I mean, you know, it's, it's sure. monkeys yep. juggling balls in the sky. So long as the data <laughs> comes down, it looks better. But um. But for, for you folks, they're doing AI with your software. So, That's right. Um, exactly. So you're, you're, you are selling transformation. It sounds like one of the things you're leaning on here is framing a future where, hey, as you have more and more needs for this, is it yep. going to be sustainable to have you know this little software that can spin this little trick and kind of get it done and this little software that's been – and you're just adding all these layers on top of the pizza without really you know changing yep. kind of what you're actually baking here. You're, you're framing the, the unsustainability of that. In other words, if we do business That's as right. usual, does this eventually just kind of fall apart? Exactly. And often what we we try to set up in their mind is, you know, look forward, not 18 months, but look forward, try to look forward 10 years. Um, and what's your business going to look like? Is it reasonable to expect that there are any processes, services, products that don't have some AI augmentation somewhere along that chain from the development, from the the initial conception to the way that they're marketed, to the way that they're sold, to the way that they're maintained. And this is across industries. Is it possible to imagine that there's something that won't, right? I mean, basically it's, it's a problem of scale. It's not that they don't know that AI is useful. I mean, maybe five years ago, like, you know, we were still doing some, you know, POCs of, Hey, look, you know, predictive models actually do better than humans. Yeah. I think you know that's well behind us. And so now it's really a question of scale of how do you do this not across one use case, two use case, you know, the first 10. It's about how do you do, okay, sure, the first one, the first 10, but then start building for the, the next thousand. Because you know, it really needs to be that pervasive in their organization. And to your point, the only way to do that is to do AI, right? And yeah. you know, sure there's a technology component, but it's a massive transformation component for a lot of these, you know, hundred year old companies. Yeah. So, okay. This is really cool. I'm, I'm kind of jotting down ideas as we go because I'm going to be taking this to our, our uh, we do a weekly call for those those Catalyst folks that I told you about. And I, I like the idea of kind of framing the different nice to need to ideas. One of them obviously being what you're saying, hey, this is going to keep rolling forward. This is going to become a bigger and bigger part of you know business transformation writ large. If we're cobbling, that doesn't go on for eternity here. Uh, what does it look like to, to make that shift? Obviously, that nice to need to is not necessarily specific to you guys, but it's of course particularly pertinent for you guys because that's your value prop, right? So, so yeah, that exactly. might not be everybody's turning point, but it is for you. And I think it's a good general one as well. I'm trying to think of another fistful, right? As we wrap up here, sure. I, I mentioned, oh boy, we know what our competitors are up to and we're spooked. You know, there's that. And if, sometimes it's just a silly press release. Like, no, they don't really have a chat bot. They just said they do, buddy. Like, don't worry <laughs> about it. But, but whatever, yeah. competitive pressure is one. Another could be, you know, IT as such isn't solving it, right? Certain kinds of fraud problems, we just can't hard code all the rules. You know, it's, no, it's, sure. it's, it's not exactly. a question. It's not a question. We just can't do it. So it's just right. full-blown technology gap stop there. The other side could be some C-level exec who's just hell-bent on being an industry leader in terms of tech and just wants to be on the screaming edge. Maybe they have enough budget to do it. You're talking about another element, which is 
you know, we're not really doing AI maturity. We're dancing on the surface of it. We paint the future of how unsustainable that is. And we just decide to dive in. We're actually going to jackhammer some data infrastructure. We're actually going to think about our teams and think about our culture. That's, that's kind of a fourth one. Anything you think I'm missing here? You know, when you really think about these hundred year old companies, a lot of our listeners work at very, very big established uh, older firms. Any other things that kind of get the light bulb to go off to say, you know, we, we got to jump in now. We got to jump in. Yeah. A big one is just uh, one of the ways that they that they think about it often is just efficiency and headcount. Yeah. You, know, you often have a situation where a CEO is just looking at the books and it's like, well, we are just, we are heavy, right? To their credit, they don't want to go and just cut a bunch of heads. You yep. know, and, you know, and, and that's a great thing. It would be, and that would be terrible, of course, for the individuals, but also for the, uh, uh, for the company, right? Because that's a huge amount of legacy knowledge uh, held up in the brains of, uh, of all of those employees. So rather than thinking about it from how could we reduce headcount, right? You know, cause we're a big, heavy company. It's much more, how do we turn that into an asset rather than a liability for us? How do we start thinking about all of those individuals as potential contributors to this process as sources of knowledge? We can't train them all to be data scientists, right? But how can we get them contributing to the process or building systems for them that make them more effective and more efficient? This big new customer that I was referring to with the two tracks, right? Their main KPI is time savings. How much can we automate? What are our FTE savings? Not because they're going to cut heads, but rather just because they need to be able to produce more with who they have today um, because they don't want to get rid of anybody because they have really, really great people. And that's yeah. generally the, you know, the, the truth, right? Is that you've got all this great knowledge, all this great expertise built up in people who are not data scientists <laughs> through no fault of their own, right? Yep. You know, they've been yeah, neither, for, neither am you know, I, honestly. So I can't, <laughs> right, I can't exactly. hate on them, yeah? <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and so, so how do you transform, and this gets to the transformation question, how do you get them to be productive or increase their productivity through the use of AI. And that's often where we're, we're slotting in as well, is when the challenge is really about efficiency, automation, and you know, bringing people into the development process rather than just saying, hey, we can do better. We don't, we don't need you. Final little quick point. This is really good stuff, Kurt. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of people are going to draw some great lessons from this. The person who you see take that need to have, they, it clicks. It, they go, well, okay, this, this isn't going to sustain. Or geez, you know, augmenting these people would be the way to maximize, you know, current headcount or whatever the click is. We talked about five of them. There might be 17, but I think the five we have are probably the really strong ones here. I would say so. The, the, uh, who is it that often gets that to click and what's so important for them to do to make sure that that expands enough where the whole company can, can kind of turn over on this thing? Because obviously that's, that's what would make the magic happen. Any, any important takeaways? Well, yeah, often, you know, that's a, when that role exists, the chief data officer, um, you know, sitting between IT and lines of business okay. and needing to do something valuable with, uh, with data, they're the, often the ones that, uh, that identify that need the quickest. That said, you know, the question is who wants to be the hero in the, uh, the company? Um, who wants to be the, uh, the hero who does the hard thing and brings the, the, the transformation forth? That could be, you know, somebody sitting either the CIO or somebody sitting within her organization. It could be somebody even coming from a line of business, which is already quite oriented towards data and analytics, quite data minded, who could be leading that charge. But ultimately, it's a yeah, it's a it's a real question, and it's a question of personal ambition because it's it's not easy, and there's not you know we, we don't claim that it's uh you know just buy our software and it's all solved. It's yeah. it is a transformation project, and there has to be somebody with the courage to do that, but who can also be the beneficiary of you know all the credit that uh, that they would bring to that company. Yep, yeah, there's there's risk and reward, admittedly, right? I mean, as you guys get big enough to sit where IBM was 30 years ago, then eventually they'll <laughs> say, well, you can't go wrong with data IQ, and then there'll be no risk. <laughs> they'll, so. just, they'll just pick you every time, right? <laughs> um, you know, everything the for you. biggest market cap in the world. But uh, 
But yeah, no, okay, so the really important takeaways. I think chief data officer sounds somewhat specific to your probably what you guys sell as opposed to, you know, every vendor who might be listening in. But regardless, the champion point is important, and I think it's a great one to end on. Kurt, we went into overtime, but this was really, really great material, and I appreciate you joining us here. This is fun. Thank you so much, Dan. Really appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. I certainly got a lot out of this episode with Kurt. I'm really glad he was able to poke into as many points as we did in terms of really understanding traction and getting enterprise folks to step forward and start adopting AI properly and what those core motives are. If you are an AI service provider or you're an AI consultant, whether you're a one-man band, someone who's just trying to get a business off the ground, or whether you've got an established company and you're really focused on scaling, all AI service providers and consultants are thinking about reaching the right buyers, who are the enterprise markets, what are the titles I need to reach to be able to uh, really serve clients, but also, of course, win business. What are the right ways we can match AI capabilities to their needs so we can really serve these customers? And then how do we present the ROI case? How do we really structure and frame the way that we sell artificial intelligence related services so that we can get enterprises to say yes? As many of you know, I don't write any code. You know, the, I'm, I'm the fellow that runs this show. I'm the fellow who runs Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. I don't write any code, but we do offer AI related services. If you are a non-technical uh, services leader like myself, or even if you run a firm that can help with data science and help with with IT, you might be interested in joining the Catalyst program where I help AI consultants and AI services leaders grow their companies with the best of insights from our interview series and the best of insights from our research here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You can learn more about that program at emerj.com slash C-A-T-1. That's emerj.com slash C-A-T-1. And you can learn more about the program there. That's the Emerge Catalyst Advisory Program if you'd like my help with growing your firm. Again, that's if you are a consultant. Hopefully all of you have enjoyed this episode. I look forward to catching you next week on our Tuesday AI use case episode. So be sure to stay tuned and I will catch you then. Thank you.